Amen. Well, good morning again, and as Edward has already said, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Point Baptist Church, and uh, I want to invite you into something. Could you take that down just a little? I don't know about out there, but it's um, really ringing right here. No, this. Um, There we go. Thank you. I want to invite you into something over the next four weeks, and it's the season of Advent. And this morning, my intention is to open the Bible and to show you and to say to you, um, this is a Christian season and there is a reason for Advent. It's a time of preparation as the next four weeks is titled Preparation for Jesus Christ. And part of what So you and I, there would be no argument that you and I are human beings. And part of what it means to be human is for us, for you and I to have a body. And one of the consequences of having a body is that time matters to you and I. We organize our lives into days and seasons and years. We know that very well. Every culture develops a rhythm, a rhythm that they call calendars. And if you, some people live according to the rhythm of the Hallmark calendar, when the ornaments come out for Christmas time, right? And maybe you live by our national calendar, the national holidays. You, you rhythm your life because you get all the federal holidays off. And so you rhythm your life by the national calendar. When your kids are in school, you rhythm your life by the academic school year, right? You have the fall semester and Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, spring break, end of school, the glorious days of summer, right? And then leading back to the, all of the excitement of the new school year. And so when you have kiddos in school, you rhythm your life that way. You plan vacations and when you're going to see grandma and grandpa and all of those things. If you're a farmer or a gardener, okay, you rhythm your life And it's influenced, rather, by the seasons of planting and harvesting. When do we put this in the ground? And what time of year is it to do this to our garden or our trees? When Stacy and I lived in Fort Worth, we lived by the glorious Texas Motor Speedway calendar. And it truly influenced the calendar of the church in the early days of the Speedway. We could not have services at certain times because you couldn't get to church. There was no way to get there. They figured all that out. But we patterned our lives. Our subdivision was blocked in. You, you couldn't get out. If you needed to go somewhere, you weren't going. And so we patterned our lives by the race calendar at Texas Motor Speedway. If you're a hunter, right? We, we talked about this this morning with the students. But you pattern your life around seasons. First day of deer season or dove season or possum season or whatever it is you hunt. But seasons matter in the life of a hunter, As a Christian, you and I, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian. We have skin in this game. We believe that God created not just you and me, but also he created time. Not just the materials of the universe, but time itself. We believe that God made time. It begins with God and it pivots around him. So if you have a Bible, if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to begin there this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to get one. There should be a a black hardback Bible under one of the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it. If there's not one there, I encourage you on your next stay at a hotel to take one. They provide them for free. Take one and use it. Bring it with you to church. You're going to need it. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And let's read the first verse here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God had gotten deeply involved in the history of what you and I now call Israel. And he miraculously delivered this entire nation from Egypt. He delivered them from the slavery of the Pharaoh. And next to creation, this is... This is the the most monumental moment in this time in history, the most defining moment in God revealing himself to the world when he delivers his people from the hand of the Pharaoh. So God says to Israel, 
This is so important. This event is so important. I want you to shift your entire calendar. Change the beginning of your year. And, and to, the, to begin on the anniversary of this event. Notice in verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And this story goes on. Now skip down with me to verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So in verses 1 and 2, God is saying, start your year on the anniversary of this event. And in verse 3, he begins to lay out a ritual that Israel was to practice every year in order to remember this really important thing, this really important event. And if you keep reading, you'll see that God gives Israel this whole series of rituals, these feasts and these fasts and festivals. And if you want to know more about those, we can talk about those later, not this morning, but he gives them this whole series of of events. And they are remembering and passing on the story of what God has done. That's where we began in Psalm 78 that Edward was reading this passing on from one generation to the next with these events with these festivals, with these rituals, with these feasts, with the fasts. And in in some mysterious way, they were participating in, in the life of God and the warp and the woof of their life as he has acted on time itself. They're participating with God in that as they remember and celebrate. And there comes a moment in the life of Israel where God, he does this thing that's it's this big word that you, you hear sometimes. He incarnates himself. God incarnates himself in one person. The person of Jesus Christ. And what we learn is he intends to save all. He intends to save people by Jesus Christ. And this, we get this unfolding of the drama of Christ. And, and what we learn is all of those rituals, all of those actions of God in the Old Testament, these feasts and festivals and fasts, And celebrations, all of those actions of God in the Old Testament, they've all been pointing to Jesus Christ. All of them, without exception, have been pointing to Jesus Christ. All of those mighty deeds of God were directing the gaze of his people so that Jesus could be seen for who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God. So with Jesus, the Jewish calendar feasts and festivals, it was fulfilled, right, in Jesus Christ. And Christians learned wisely early on the shape of the year could not be taken for granted. And so they care with care and thought about all of time and all of the things that were essential. They learned how to measure and mark a year. And in doing that, it shapes, it tells rather a story that shapes their life. And so over the first few centuries of the life of the church, Christians from a variety of cultures, they didn't stop living their year in a way that told the story of God's actions on the world. They lived in a way that that continued to tell from one generation to the next. Just like we discovered this morning, like some of our young men learned to fish and some of our young men and young ladies learned to hunt. This was passed on from one generation to the next. And God was relaying this to his people through all of these things. And so Christians learned the value of this early on. And what they did was they adjusted the calendar to embody the work of God in Jesus Christ. They developed a Christ-centered choreography to their year. So following this helps us to establish the rhythm of our lives around a person, Jesus of Nazareth. He was, the scriptures would tell us that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The scriptures tell us all of those things and all of those events in the life of Jesus were how the early Christians set their calendar. They looked at these events and said, we are going to mark our life. We want to mark our calendar rather by the events of Jesus's life, his death, his burial and his resurrection, thus shaping our lives. So 
for much of our culture, the season we're in right now, it's the beginning of the Christmas season. Right? That's exciting. But for Christians who orient their lives by the church calendar, I don't mean Rocky Point Baptist Church calendar, I mean the church calendar, historical church calendar, this moment of time that we're in, it's not the beginning of the Christmas season, it's what we have said or calling Advent. Today marks the first day of the Christian calendar and the first day of the season of Advent. And it's a time of preparing a time of preparation. The Christmas season historically begins on Christmas Eve, sundown on Christmas Eve, and it lasts for 12 days. That's where we get the song, the 12 days of Christmas, right? And so Advent begins the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and it goes till sundown on Christmas Eve, and then you're in the Christmas season, beginning today, from today to the fourth Sunday. The season is a time for self-examination. It's a time for repentance, it makes for a very different experience than it does for those who are moving to the rhythm, rhythms rather of our this cultural giant of consumerism. You, you know it. You, you feel it. You feel it raging against you. Even if you join into it, you feel it. You feel it pressing in on you and weighing in on you. It, it, it's this engine that it runs on consumption, accumulation, self-indulgence. It's it's really cranking right now. I mean, the ads are coming at us, right? Thanksgiving is here and we're trying to celebrate Thanksgiving. And, and we have company there and they've got newspapers. And, and the newspapers is generally as thick as my Bible, maybe the fourth paper. And now it's this big because of all the ads. And it's no longer Black Friday sale because it begins on Thursday at three o'clock. So it can't be a Black Friday sale. Then it's Cyber Monday. And now, no, no, it's not just Cyber Monday. It lasts the whole week and it just weighs in on you and presses in on you. And it says accumulate and buy and get. And we shift gears immediately from Thanksgiving, right? I think, I think that the Christmas decorations come out with the ghost of Halloween, but we, it's, we shift gears immediately on Thanksgiving day into consumerism and the gifts of Christmas. And we have, we have forsaken altogether the time of preparation that our historical forefathers or Christians, men and women that have gone before us have said, no, no, no. It's wise to orient your life around this. There's wisdom in the church calendar. And it's a wisdom that calls us in moments like this to be out of step, out of step with the world around us. I'm I'm not saying stop buying gifts. There's a very real part of gift giving and gift buying I'm saying don't shift gears on me very quick, too quickly from Thanksgiving into the gift. There is a time of preparation for the gift. The season of Advent is a time not of self-indulgence, but of repentance. It's a time where we, where Christians are to cry out for God to do this, to shake us out of our complacencies, to grab us by the shoulders, if you will, by his word and to shake us out of our complacencies, to to wake us up, to alert us to the sinful patterns and habits in our life. And they don't have to be this long list of grievous sin that we might imagine. But sin nonetheless is sin and it's offense to a holy God. And Advent is a time to shake us, to alert you and I to that sin and to wake us out of that stupor that we've maybe gotten into. And, and that brings us to our main text this morning. So if you would turn to me to Isaiah chapter 64. While you're turning there, I want to back up just for a moment. I want to help us to wrap our minds around this bigger picture. And you need to know that before we we get to Isaiah 64, before we get to that place in the scriptures, the entire and enormous story of the Bible turns on a hinge. And that hinge is in Genesis chapter 12. It's the story of Abraham. 
where this one and only true God enters into a covenant with Abraham. He comes to Abraham, he binds himself to Abraham and his offspring and says that through him, he will heal the world, restore the world, rescue God's creation that's been broken and is now infected with evil and with death. And he says, that's going to happen through you, Abraham. I'm going to covenant with you. And, And so it's this gigantic hinge in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. And the way the creator is going to rescue his creation and restore it is through the people called Israel, the offspring of Abraham. But if you if you read through the Old Testament, if you read very much at all through the Old Testament, um, one of the things that you discover is that we see that Israel, God's solution to the problem is actually um, the problem. Part of the problem herself over and over again, as you read, you see that Israel is this grumbling, malcontented, rebellious people. And Israel was called to be God's promise bearing people, the light to the nations. But Israel showed signs, every sign really of being in darkness themselves. He 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 rescues them and and says, through you, I'm going to save a people. But when you read their story, it's like, how how is the solution to this this? Because they're part of the problem. And so this is where we where we come to in Isaiah 64. So let's let's start in the middle. Listen to verse six. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. I I start here because the references here in these in these verses, garments and leaves and wind, they're images they put us, they take us back to a place. And they should take you back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve after the sin. Israel is supposed to be the solution, right, to Adam's sin. And they have become a new Adam. They, they've sinned just like whose garments do not cover them in the presence of the Spirit of God. But there's more. There's this progression in these verses. So don't miss this. In, this, in these verses, first you get the word unclean. It's, it's, word, it's a, a word, it's language rather, that, that's used to talk about lepers and their skin disease. Which made them ritually unclean. They could not participate in some things. They were ritually unclean. Then this image, it gets, it's greater, greater in intensity. They compare even their best acts, their righteousness. They're comparing it to a menstrual cloth. And then it all comes together in the image of a withering leaf. So you get this progression in, in these images here. Do you feel this in these images? This sin that he's referring to leads to this loss of vitality. Do you have leaves in your backyard right now? If not, you have some near you or you've seen them. They're no longer connected to the tree. They're disconnected. They've lost their vitality. They're not going to turn green. They're only going to decay, get darker brown, deeper orange, and then decompose. They're drained of life. Israel here is drained of life And she is like a dried leaf. Sin leads to death. You need to know that this morning. Your sin and my sin, as great or as small as it is, will always lead to death. Because the scriptures tell us that. And in Israel's persistent sinning, they've lost the source of their existence. In the Bible, sin is not first a behavioral dysfunction. We, we go there very quickly, particularly with children. We might say it's a, beha- a behavioral dysfunction, but, but rather sin primarily is offense against the nature of life, against God himself. And it ends in death and decay. So you get this image in verse 6 of a fading leaf. This goes beyond the previous two images, beginning in verse 6, of a menstrual cloth, a leper could be cleansed and a dirty car- garment could be washed. But a withering leaf and fading leaves, that's irreversible. You don't change that. You don't take a leaf from your backyard and put it back on the tree. It's impossible to reestablish it to the source of life. So I would say to you this morning, what about you? 
Will you slow down? Will you slow down? Will you heed the call over the next four weeks? The pleading that will come from this place, primarily from the scriptures delivered from this place. But will you slow down and consider that the sins in your life not only pollute you, they wither you. They disconnect you from the source of life, from your creator. Every sin, wherever it is found, will always wither you. It will always it will always disconnect you in some way from God himself. No sin draws you closer to him, but rather it, draw, it pushes you further from him. Advent invites us to do that. It asks us, it, it, it compels us rather to slow down, slow down where you're at in the, in the rhythms of your life, in the warp and the wolf of your life. Slow down for the next four weeks it's, it's not saying don't celebrate Christmas. There's time for that. There's time for the wedding. There's time for that celebration. There's time for the party. But right now is a time for preparation. We don't need the wedding before the engagement. We need the engagement before the wedding. And this is a time Advent calls us to slow down. It's a season where we prepare to celebrate the birth, the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ by learning from Israel how to do this. How to long for Jesus Christ. It's the season to slow down and to be reminded that sin is serious death inducing business. It should not be taken lightly. It should it should never be taken lightly. Look at verse seven. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. This is what's, what Israel's ongoing sin has done to her. It's call, caused Israel to have spiritual lethargy. It can no longer rouse itself. It's lazy. It's lethargic. They don't even make an attempt to reestablish contact with God. It's, a, it's how deathly sin is. It's, it causes you, it lulls you to sleep. You don't realize that you're you have this habit or pattern in your life. Maybe you do if, you, if you've got some grievous sin that you've, you've, you've shared with one of your pastors or one of your friends or, or your best friend or someone. And they know you've got certain things going on in your life. But, I, but there are habits, there are rhythms, there are patterns in our life that we are often unaware of. That we're blind to. And it, it sways us. It's, it's like when we put Xander, our newborn, in, in this incredible rocking swing and i know it's probably dangerous because they get used to it and they have to be there but at two o'clock in the morning when he thinks it's time to eat again and i'm saying no it's time to sleep through the night we put him in the swing and it rocks and he goes out his arms go back and he is oblivious to what's going on in the world around him and sin sin does the very thing to you and i it sways you to a rhythm that lulls you to a place that's very very dangerous we become like israel we become lethargic so what about you what about me are you asleep to something am i asleep to something to a habit to a pattern have i grown lethargic in my sin have you grown lethargic in your sin And there at the end of verse seven, they say this, you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. The Lord allows Israel's sin to take its course. This is this is nothing brand. It's it's, maybe it's new here, but this is not an alone account of this in the scriptures. Sin undoes us. It uncreates us, if you will. One author writes, it's a it's a power. And here, when we read this in verse 7, it's personified with breath and with a hand. It's a dominating tyrant over them. You have melted us in the hand of our, made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. And our choices, they would form us into people who have no other choice but to be who we make ourselves to be. And here is Israel And God has sentenced them to the consequences of their own sin. Israel chose to sin and chose to do so against God's clearly expressed will. There was no 
There was no secret about this. They were clearly disobeying God. And and having chosen to do that, it became easier and easier for them to sin and harder and harder for them to stop. Do you know what that feels like? When you start down a road and it's small at first and becomes easier and easier, and then your heart your heart hardens towards the things of the Lord. Whether that is a word that is preached or a word aptly spoken in due time to you from the scriptures, it becomes harder and harder to stop. It becomes easier and easier to sin. Our hearts set on disobedience will progress, progressively harden against the way and the will of God. Listen, the scriptures tell us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And they tell us that God hardened his heart. Providence, sovereignty, and free will were all at play. It's it's a mystery. You, You can't ignore it. It's all through the scriptures. We choose to sin and God chooses to hand us over to that. He didn't make you sin. But in your sin, he chooses to give you over to that. God's judgment on us is to let us go go to it. Right. That's Romans one tells us that he gave them over to their sin. It's only in America. It's only in America. We think that the lack of choice means we escape responsibility. And that is a brand new thought. Is like Israel, we see ourselves as helpless victims. We don't like our sinful condition. We admit that this is far from God. We would that that it is far from what God would like us to be and even what we would like to be. But we feel helpless. I don't know if you've been to that place where in your sin, you you it progressively gets easier and easier to go down that road and harder and harder to turn back to God in that sin. But there's a moment where you say, like Paul, why do I do the things that I do not want to do? Why do I not do the things that I know I should Wretched man that I am. I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this way. I want to turn from this. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. We, we feel like helpless victims. And it feels as though we're in a conundrum, right? God didn't make us in. We chose to sin, but he gives us over to that sin. So our heart is heart and we can't turn back to God. So what needs to be done? Look at the end of verse 5. Shall we be saved? I think Isaiah anticipates this. Paul's plea in Romans 7. Who shall save us from this body of death? Paul says it's, it feels hopeless. Sin is like this life-ending cocktail. And maybe you don't remember that. But that is the world that we live in. That is the world of people. There is this, it's this life-ending cocktail that we, when you drink it, it, be, it just, it's hard. we get further and further from God. It's harder and harder to turn back, and it's, it's subtle. And maybe as the years pass and you go further in your walk with Him, it's, it's even more and more subtle and cunning. And, and it's, a, it's manipulative words, and it's, it's, you don't recognize it as you did when you first came to know Him. And you were confronted with the abruptness of all that. And you grow, you've been lulled to sleep like Israel to believe that you any longer would offend a holy God. You have it together. And God would allow us to continue in that. And it's a grievous thing that would happen. In the hopelessness, look at verse 8. There breaks in this ray of hope. Look at verse eight. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. And remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. The whole chapter, when you read this, the whole chapter with all of its sadness Everything turns on the first two words of verse eight. But now all of this sadness, we're like a polluted garment. We're like a, a, a withering leaf. We're disconnected from the source of life. How how can we be saved, O Lord? And then we get to this verse and he says, but now. Peter Lightheart, he says this about this verse. He says, no matter she's withered, no matter she's impure, No matter she's ruined and trampled and shattered, no matter how hidden Yahweh has become, Israel can still call to him. 
And she has a trump card. She can call to him as father. For Yahweh has made Israel. Yahweh has made Israel his. Identified himself with Israel by taking her name. The God of Israel. And finally, by taking her flesh. The God who formed Israel as a potter forms a pot. As Yahweh made Adam can remake Israel. The father who made Israel can remake her, mold her again into a vessel, breathe again the breath of life, robe her yet again in robes of righteousness and glory. So there's this movement here. There's this movement from a grim confession in verses uh, 6 and 7 to verse 8 with this cry, with this cry in verse 8. Read it with me again. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. There is this there is this uh, underlying phrase. They're saying, rescue us, rescue me, restore me, remake me. I am your child and that's the only ground I have to stand on. I'm your child. That's the only reason I can call out to you. That's the only reason I can cry out to you to rescue me, to restore me, to remake me. And you and I, let's call out to God as our father. That's what Advent is about for the Christian. Listen, the unbelieving, the lost, the unregenerate, they don't celebrate Advent. They're not preparing for the gift of Jesus Christ. We, if you're a Christian, that's, that's who Advent's for. And so we celebrate, we, we prepare. And we're, this is a time, today marks the day where we begin by crying out to God as father. Do you remember being a child? I think it's difficult at times to remember what it's like to be a child because we grow up and we get sophisticated and we forget what it's like to be little bitty. Really, to be absolutely dependent on someone else for everything, for what you wear, where you go, if you can go, where you sit in a service, if you can go to the service, if you're going to eat, what you're going to get, you can want all day long, but you're not going to get it. And left your mom or dad. Or maybe a grandparent that sneaks in. But do you remember what it's like to be a child? I get very sophisticated in my Christianity. Advent is a time. It's, it's where over the course of the next four weeks, we prepare to celebrate. Don't start celebrating today, please. I'm, I'm really begging you to not. To not forsake preparation. Because you are not out of step with our culture if you do. Our culture wants, wants all the rights and privileges of marriage without the engagement. And you know it. And in the life of a Christian, as we prepare for Christmas, to be out of step with the world, says Christmas is a time to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing songs to that end. And we believe that, that it's really about Jesus. He's the reason for the season. That's not some catchy slogan to sell more stuff. Now, it may be for people, but it's not a slogan for Christians. It's the reality of our life that Jesus is the reason for the season. But there is a time for preparation. And Advent is to to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. It is a time to prepare your heart so that when you get to the unwrapping of that gift, it it is unimaginable. But if it's Christmas all year long, it loses its luster, doesn't it? This is not here in my notes, but we said this this morning in Sunday school. If it's opening day all year long, is it really opening day? No. The anticipation, the the harrowing of the field, the planting of the oats, of the food plot where the deer might come in, right? The filling of the feed or the anticipation of opening day. If it's opening day year round, it's not as exhilarating, is it? And so I'm pleading with you to slow down and to give sway to the rhythms of the Christian calendar and God's word to say, reorient your life to this thing that's called Advent, this this arrival. We're anticipating the arrival of Jesus Christ. We're preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And let's identify those behaviors, habits, attitudes that are an offense to God. Our actions and our reactions that cut us off from the source of life. 
they're subtle. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and praying about this privately. I've never had an affair with my wife. I'm not addicted to pornography. I don't abuse drugs or alcohol. I don't use drugs. I've never used them. I don't abuse alcohol. I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm very impatient with my family. Very impatient. I don't yell and scream. We don't throw things at our house. But I'm very irritable when it doesn't go the right way. And that is offense to my maker. And too far down that road cuts me off like a withering leaf. And it gets easier and easier to be rooted, rutted rather, is a better word, in that sin. And I forget that even in the subtleness of irritability, I am offending my Creator. And Advent is a time for me to slow down and to say, I have, yes, there have been moments where I've offended my children and my wife, But primarily, I have offended my God. Primarily, I have offended my God. And too far down that road, and he will give me over to that. And I know men like that. And I pray that God would not let me go down that road too far. And so Advent, Advent is a time for me to cry out to God. Because unless God intervenes... And he breaks these patterns. They're patterns and they're habits. They're ritualized habits in your life. And unless God intervenes, there is no way they are going to be broken. You're not just going to stop doing them. You're not that good. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. You're not going to just stop doing them. God must intervene. If God does not intervene, we will continue in our sin and alienation from him, from God's creation and from becoming fully human. That's the goal, right? To be like Christ. He is the truest, fullest human. He came in the flesh. He did what Adam couldn't do, what Abraham couldn't do, what all those before him couldn't do. And so the goal is to be like him. We are being transformed into the image of Christ to be fully human, who he intended us to be. And when we continue in our sin, if God does not intervene, you continue down the road of becoming less and less human. Sin is dehumanizing. So when you sin against others, you are dehumanizing them. And when you are wretched, wrought in your sin, you are dehumanizing yourself. You're less and less who God has intended for you to be. And here's the rub. This is this is not only a matter. I'm saying God has got to intervene. Here's the rub. This is not only a matter of God deciding whether or not to intervene. Because providence, sovereignty, and free will are all at play. The question is for you this morning, will you, will you, little old you, right here in Rocky Point Baptist Church in Stephenville, Texas, Texas, America, in America and the United States of the world, in the Seven billion people that are living and breathing today, roughly. Well, little old you. Little old me. Will you cry out just like the Galilean men did? We heard about in Mark chapter 9. I think it was Mark 9, 24. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He cries out to God. I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Are you willing Are you willing to have certain patterns of behavior broken in your life? Broken. Not put, not set on the shelf for a week or a month or a day or whatever. Not, not just through this time. Advent, let's get through Advent because I need to get back to this. I mean, are you willing to have patterns of your life broken, dismantled, right? Or do you want God's blessing while you continue to do what you've always done. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the common way? We want God's blessing. I'm blessed, but I'm going to continue to do what I want. I'm not going to give sway to the word. I'm not going to heed to God's proclaimed word. I'm not going to open the script. I don't want to read that part because then I might have to dismantle the sinful habits and patterns in my life. So will you, are you willing to cry out to God to break 
patterns in your life. This is the heart of Advent. It's a time to wait. It's not a passive waiting. If, if you're preparing rightly for marriage, it's not, a, it's not a passive preparing. You're getting your home in order. You're getting your finances in order. You're making, you're making arrangements. You're doing things. You're actively, you're actively waiting, right? And here, Advent is a time to wait, but it's not a passive waiting. Advent is a time of active preparation, actively preparing. It's a time when we call out for God to break into our lives, to break selfish habits and patterns, to shatter our self-centered pursuits, soften our hearts, our hardened hearts, because where we sin, our heart is hard. And so when we cry out to him, we say, soften our heart, O Lord, where I have sinned against you primarily, my heart is hard there. And so I've sinned. Nobody made me sin. So Pharaoh's heart's is hardened and God hardens his heart. He gives him over to that. And so God, don't let me go down that road any longer. Soften my heart. I don't want to be a hard hearted, rebellious person that would disconnect me from my source of life. Advent is a time for repentance. It's a time to reorganize, rather recognize our sin and our need. It's a time to long and hope and pray for Christ to be birthed brand new in our hearts. It's a time to renew our journey away from the old life, the life where we live under the power of evil. Yes, Jesus Christ conquered death and hell and all that we just sang about, but that doesn't mean that sin no longer exists. You and I know that very well. Maybe you experienced it today. It's a time to renew our journey to the life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't talk like that anymore. I don't hear people talking like that because people might think you're kooky. But does the Spirit of God live in you? Do you live under the influence, Galatians says, of the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not moving walls. I'm not doing something kooky. I'm saying the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not freedom to do what I want, freedom from the slavery and the bondage of sin. And where I am bound, Advent is a time to say I am bound in that area and I need to I need to break free from that. I need to repent of that. I need to confess that to someone, to God primarily, that I've offended him and I want to get right with him so that when Christmas comes, I'm prepared to unwrap, to open, to receive this gift, this precious gift of Jesus Christ. It's a season to evaluate your faith. How you live. For you to commit to an unconditional unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. I know what it's like to live as a lukewarm Christian. I'm in, but not all the way. I'm in, but not really. Are you in? Are you in? What, what, what have you bent your life around? I, I get that you got, we live by the calendar, January, to, but, but what really bends your life? What orients your life? What, how are you telling your story? Are you more shaped by the, by the gopher season or deer season or dove season or opening day at MLB or whatever? than you are by Christ. And all of those things are good. I've never killed a gopher, Colonel. But all of those things are good. But if those things shape you more than Christ himself, you are out of step with your creator and garments can be washed, but disconnected leaves can never be connected again. For some here this morning, I'm not naive enough to believe that everyone here is a Christian. And so for some, this commitment, this this surrender needs to occur for the very first time. As a Christian, I am unashamedly saying we are preparing for Christ the King. He's not going to come and be the King one day. He is the King. He's on His throne. He is King. And this is how to live in step in the kingdom as an agent of the kingdom. And we are waiting to celebrate that, we say, on December 25th. 
And so Christmas Eve and for 12 days, we want to party and celebrate about the coming of Christ the King. Why? Because of his life that was perfectly lived, tempted in every way, tried and was without sin. Not a thought, not an action, not an attitude that disconnected him from the source of life. Because of his life, because of his death, that death where he substituted, right? He, he stood in, he took death upon himself. Death, he took death upon him and into himself. And he separated himself willingly and it pleased his father, Isaiah says. It, get, it pleased him to crush his son. I don't, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. It pleased the father to crush him. No sin. He willingly was crushed for our iniquity. He was bruised and beaten. We know the story. I don't have to I don't have to go through it again. He substituted himself. He took upon himself what you and I. What you and I. Regardless of choice did we sinned. You were born into it. Romans 5 says, through one man, all have sinned. Romans 5, 12. But through one man, all can be saved. And that man substituted himself in the, form of, in the form of a real man on a real cross, died a brutal death, and they really buried him. And I think that's what all of creation was like. It was in awe that God himself had died. But very early, as Edward preached from the end of Mark on that morning. Jesus Christ, the son of God, was with us again. He made himself known to many people. And then after a period of time, he ascended to the right hand of his father. Where the writer of Hebrews says he intercedes for us. And so my plead for you, if you are not a Christian, you're not born again, you're not regenerate, you've never bowed knee to King Jesus, you've, you've never received the gift of salvation by grace, through faith, not of your works, lest you could be proud and arrogant and boast about it. Have you ever received that? Now, I hope if you're a Christian in here, you're, you, you, the end game is not that only you would be saved. Because if that's the case, man, take me now, Lord. But for some of us, he's given us 80 plus years, right? 40 plus years, 50 plus years. You're here and you've been walking with the Lord that long. What now? Well, we continue. We prepare our hearts and we cry out and we say, oh, Lord, I've offended you. I've sinned against you in this way. Make me right with you, oh, Lord, that that when we celebrate your coming, it is a glorious event because there is no shame. Isn't that why you hide? Isn't that why you hide? Right, Colton, you tell your boys, boys, we don't need to do that. I'm not going to name which boys. And then the boys do that. And then they hide. Right? Children do that. Why do we do that? We have shame and guilt. But can I tell you, when you are right with Jesus Christ, there is an end to shame. No more shame. None. Until you sin again. And then you pause and you cry out to him again. So will you slow down long enough this morning if you are not a Christian? Listen, if you have doubts. I welcome your doubts. It's the unbelief that is dangerous. Because doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. So where there is doubt, let's talk. And where there is unbelief, I'm pleading with you to cry out to the Lord that you would have belief. And to the Christian, 
It's really simple. Will you slow down long enough over the course of the next four weeks to let God reveal your sinful habits and patterns in your life, be they only one, that you could repent and be right and receive without shame or guilt the gift of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I have prayed that many times, Lord. And when I pray it, I don't, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want it to be a casual, flippant prayer to say thank you for your word. But it is how you have made yourself known to us, this body of people. Your word is a mighty thing. And so by your word this morning, will you reveal yourself to those that are blind? That the God of this age has blinded, that they may not see Christ. Would, would, by your word, will you remove scales that they may see this morning? 2 Corinthians 4. Maybe they would hear for the very first time that you made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Father, for the Christian, for those of the way, for those that are followers of Jesus Christ in this room, I pray that by your word they would be convicted to slow down to not jump in to the machine of consumerism and accumulation. But rather jump in to a time of reflection on our creator, the giver of life. That we might not hide like Adam did in the garden. We might not try to cover ourselves with deeds of righteousness that are really like filthy rags. But we would, we would be able to come unashamed because of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death in our place. And because we've received that and we can cry out to you like Israel did to our father. That is the only grounds by which we can stand. We cry out, Father, would you correct us? Would you set us right? Would you do that, Lord? For the fame and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.